taking a brief break from the series that we're going through presently, and uh, I would have you turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. I said in mine heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doeth it? Laughter is a divine medicine to the soul when properly used. Solomon says in Proverbs 17:22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Laughter lifts the spirit and improves the health of the body. In fact, many studies have shown the relationship of laughter to good mental and heart health. And as God's people, we should be those who express our joy with laughter. Ecclesiastes 3.4 says that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. King Solomon raises the matter of laughter for our consideration in the text that is before us today. You see, what we laugh at and what we will not laugh at tells so much about us as people. What role does laughter play in the life of a Christian? Are there any boundaries that we should set around our laughter well, simply immersing ourselves in laughter bring true happiness in our lives. These are questions we hope to answer as we proceed through the sermon this Lord's Day. And let's consider the following two main points from our text. First of all, Solomon's experiment with laughter in Ecclesiastes 2.1 and then, second main point is Solomon's conclusion concerning laughter in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 2. So our first main point, Solomon's experiment with laughter. We read in verse 1, I said in mine heart, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. King Solomon is the human author of this book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the word Ecclesiastes, the title of this book, uh, comes from the Hebrew word for uh, preacher. That is literally one who gathers or one who assembles people together for the purpose of preaching to them. Likewise, in Greek, uh, the word Ecclesiastes means the same thing. Uh, again, Ecclesiastes is the Greek form, but the Hebrew word means the same thing, one who gathers or assembles. Solomon tells us that he gave himself to a study of all the activities of all of the employments, of all of the uh, alleged pleasures of this world, 
in order to be able to test and to be able to see whether indulging ourselves in any of these activities and employments would bring true joy, would bring true happiness to a person. Now, he was evaluating this from one, he says, who is looking at it from one who is under the sun. That is, from a mere human perspective. Not from one who is above the sun, not from one who is giving a heavenly perspective, from God's perspective, but he is approaching this from the perspective of mere man. Solomon tried everything under the sun to see if he could find a lasting joy. I mean, he was the richest and the wisest ruler at that time. If anyone could possibly find happiness in pleasure, in amusements, in music, in women or men, in power, in fame, in having servants to wait upon your least command, the best food, the best wine, the most beautiful gardens, and the most exquisite architecture. He had everything. If anybody could conduct such a search to find whether anything in this world can bring true and lasting happiness and joy, Solomon had that at his disposal. But what he found was that all, he says, all was vanity. All was emptiness from a mere human perspective, as one speaking from under the sun. Happiness based upon searching for it in the things of this world, Solomon concludes, was temporary. It was temporary and it did not last. He says in verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That's what he found. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Solomon turns now to various pleasures, which he personally tested to see whether they would bring a lasting happiness in his life. The first pleasure which Solomon indulges and immerses himself in was that of mirth and laughter. No doubt he reasoned somewhat like this, if tears and sorrow bring pain to the soul, then perhaps mirth, that is entertainment, and laughter will bring joy and happiness to the soul. In verse 1, Solomon reflects within himself as to where he might find this true joy and happiness when he says, I said in mine heart. He begins by examining his heart. He begins by speaking to himself, reflecting upon these things in his own heart. You know, it it is a very good thing for us to do self-reflection. It's good to reason in our own minds about important matters. Not to simply be gullible and accept everything that comes our way, but to reflect, to think about, to meditate upon. But the problem with Solomon at this point is that he's not using God's word. He's not using God's word to give him direction by way of his own self-reflection but is rather reflecting on what will merely bring him happiness apart from a consideration of the Lord and his revealed will. You see, that's the very important starting point for Solomon's defection, and he did defect. He fell away from the Lord. This is the starting point of Solomon's defection. He had forgotten his God 
He had left his first love. Jesus was no longer that which was uppermost in his mind, but pleasures and, and laughter and the things of this life replaced Jesus as his first love. Dear ones, we can tell in our own lives, all of us, we can tell we are heading for a fall away from the Lord when Jesus and his word are not in our desires, our affections, our thoughts, or the decisions that we make. And all that is important is what we want, what we desire, not what God desires, not what God reveals in his word. We, like Solomon, have forgotten the Lord and will be heading for a fall, just as was true of Solomon. You know, what's amazing about Solomon's defection and fall from God is that he was wiser than any other man. In fact, except for Christ, of course. 1 Kings 3.12, he prayed for wisdom, and God granted him wisdom. And it says, the Lord says to Solomon, Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart. Notice, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. What God is saying is that there was no mere man that was wiser in all of history than Solomon. And yet he fell away from the Lord. See, dear ones, that's what pride will do. Pride in ourselves, pride in our own accomplishments is simply taking our eyes off of Christ and looking to ourselves, looking at what we want, what we desire, rather than, again, what God desires. Where the focus becomes me and my world rather than Christ being not merely a part of my life, but being my life. Jesus is not simply to be one of the things that we have that's a part of our life and we've got many other things that are a part of our life. Jesus is to be our life and everything else is to revolve around Jesus in our lives. Solomon also seems to have enjoyed a blessed communion with the Lord for the greater part of his life. For it was not until he was older, usually we associate, you know, rashness and falling away when we're younger, but that wasn't true of Solomon. It was when he was older, the word of God says, that his idolatrous wives turned his heart away from the Lord in 1 Kings 11.4. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord as God, as was the heart of David his father when he was old. You see, when we're old, uh, we can't simply put our lives on cruise control and think that everything is going to be hunky-dory, everything is going to be all right, we've passed those, those uh, uh, years of our life where the youth are more subject to certain temptations, now we're beyond that, we can never do that. We can never view that as being true, that we're ever beyond temptation to set ourselves up. Therefore, we are taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10. Therefore, let a man not think that he won't fall. Basically looking at the fact that he's standing now and think that he would not fall. We can all fall. Solomon fell. The wisest mere man that ever lived. He fell. That's a warning to us all. 
If we allow our desires and the pleasures of this world to rule over us, we will fall away from Christ. And we'll reap the sorrow and the grief that Solomon reaped. But thankfully, the story of Solomon doesn't end with his fall away from the Lord. That's not where the story ends because this particular book of Ecclesiastes is the story of a man who is repentant. Is the man a story of the man who turned away from those things which led him away from Christ. The story of a man who learned that the things of this world cannot satisfy and will not bring true happiness and joy, lasting joy and happiness. Many blessings in this life that we are to enjoy to the glory of God, but they in themselves cannot bring us joy if our joy isn't first found in the Lord. Christ pursued Solomon. Even when he fell away, pursued him with an everlasting love, and by his power, Christ's power, rescued him from his rebellion and from his idolatry, just as Jesus does with us all of the time. He comes and seeks us out when we fall from him. We who are his children, we who have come to Christ by faith, just as he did with Solomon. What did Solomon say in his heart according to our text? Well, first, in verse 1, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. In Ecclesiastes 2.1 If true joy and happiness was to be found in laughter, amusement, and entertainment, Solomon was going to test it. He was going to see for himself by way of this test whether that was the case. Secondly, Solomon says in his heart, therefore enjoy pleasure in Ecclesiastes 2.1. Satisfy your pleasures, your desires, that which pleases you. That's what a pleasure is, is that which pleases us. Remember again that Solomon is not uh, evaluating here pleasure from God's perspective, as he should have. But he's evaluating it from man's perspective, as one who is under the sun, not above the sun, not from a heavenly perspective, but from a mere earthly perspective. Again, in Ecclesiastes 1.14, Not all pleasure that pleases us is sinful or wrong. For example, in Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, In thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. By way of communion with the Lord God, that's a pleasure. That pleases us. Certainly, we can't say that all pleasure is sinful or wrong, or all that pleases us is sinful or wrong. Our greatest pleasure as Christians comes not in pleasures that are contrary to God's will, but rather in pleasures that are agreeable to God's will. For example, loving God, loving our neighbor, Serving God with all of our heart. Serving our neighbor. Enjoying the many blessings of this life. Food, clothing, shelter, friends, family members. Enjoying all those blessings God has given to us to his glory. Those are pleasures. Those please us. And those are good that's what God has given us to, to do, is to enjoy them. He doesn't give us blessings in order to make us sad. He gives us blessings that we might rejoice in him. That we might laugh 
with joy at the way he has blessed us. Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Happy. You want to be happy? The Lord says, find wisdom. Wisdom is the application of truth. Not simply having truth in your mind, but applying that truth in your life. And the way you relate to others, the way you talk, speak, act, think, decisions you make, desires that you have. Again, those, those are all ways in which we apply wisdom. So if you want to be truly happy, be a, a wise man or woman, young man, young woman, Child, be wise. You see, again, God's not opposed to happiness. God's not opposed to us being uh, joyful. He wants us to be joyful. That's his will, that we be joyful. But we must be joyful in that which is agreeable to God's will, not contrary to his will. It's... Laughter is good and beneficial to our health. Proverbs 17, 22, a merry man, a merry heart doeth good like medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. But dear ones, the mirth, the amusement and laughter of the world without Jesus Christ will not bring a lasting joy and happiness. What it will actually do, a laughter of the world, amusement of the world without Christ, what it will actually do is bring a person laughing all the way to hell and everlasting torment. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference between godly laughter and ungodly laughter. I don't know if you've ever thought about a distinction like that, but the Bible makes that type of a distinction, and so should we. A godly laughter and an ungodly laughter. Well, let's first of all look at what is godly laughter. Godly laughter is our joyful and thankful expression of God's goodness to us. For example, in Genesis 21, 6, when Sarah conceived and gave birth to Isaac, her son, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Laughing at God's goodness by way of rejoicing in what God has done. Psalm 126, verses 1 through 2, says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, when he delivered Israel out of bondage, Babylonian captivity, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. You see, dear ones, times of celebration of God's goodness at birthdays, anniversaries, graduations, weddings, promotions at work, and gatherings for fellowship among God's people should be filled with laughter and joy in giving thanks to God for all his undeserved blessings 
to us. God even says at particular times that he appointed God's people to come together in the Old Testament. He very specifically tells them how they are to laugh and rejoice together. For example, in bringing their tithes unto the Lord. It wasn't a time to be sorrowful. Well, I have to give this to the Lord. Oh, no. To support the ministry. To support the temple. Look what I'm sacrificing. No, it's to be a time of celebration. In Deuteronomy 12, 7, we read, And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand unto, ye and your households wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Rejoicing at being able to give the tithe unto the Lord, to share with those who are needy. So, first of all, as we noted, godly laughter is our joyful and thankful expression of God's goodness to us. Next, what is godly laughter? Godly laughter, second, is pure and wholesome. Pure and wholesome. It rejoices in that which is morally good according to God's commandments. Not that which is opposite to moral purity. Third, godly laughter builds up and edifies the soul. It strengthens and does not destroy one's own soul or the soul of others. In other words, one example is we can certainly use clean jokes to build up, to edify, to strengthen, to lift the spirit of one another. A clean joke certainly accomplishes that. Takes, it's like a form of rec recreation, to take our minds off of perhaps something that's troubling us, something to distract us, and to be able, uh, even for a short time, to lift our spirits. Just like a, a, a lawful form of recreation. So again, God certainly would approve of a clean joke because if it's for the intention, of, again, of strengthening and building up, not tearing down someone. Fourthly, godly laughter uh, is an expression of our enjoying God, enjoying God's blessings, enjoying God's people, enjoying God's salvation and all the benefits that flow from it. And so let us always and ever enjoy with much laughter our family, our children, our grandchildren with much laughter and joy. And I say, especially when life is hard. God gives us those blessings. When we're going through the deepest trials, he gives us those blessings to lift our spirits, to lift us and take us away from that trial that we're going through, to be able to enjoy and to laugh with our dear children and grandchildren, a husband, a wife, let us ever enjoy with much pleasure as well lawful hobbies and lawful recreations that give us once again a healthy break from work but let them not those those hobbies and those recreations let them not consume us they're intended to be a break from our work they're not intended to be our work Okay, when we become consumed with our hobbies and with our recreations, 
and that's all that we are concerned about, then it's no longer a lawful hobby or recreation. It's an indulgence. It's a distraction from doing that which God has actually called us to do in our calling. And let us ever enjoy with gladness whatever God has blessed us with. 1 Timothy 6.17, the Apostle Paul warns those who are rich, but he adds this at the very end of this verse. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who, notice this, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God doesn't give us things not to enjoy. He gives us things in order to enjoy, to laugh at over the, the joy that we have in, in possessing these things. <clears throat> but in all these blessings, dear ones, let none of these blessings replace God. Let none of these blessings replace our love for Christ. Take his place, but rather direct us to God. Let these blessings direct us to God who has given them to us rather than excluding him from our laughter and from our pleasures. The joy of the Lord is our strength, not our weakness, not our infirmity. The joy of the Lord is our strength. We all need the joy of the Lord. We all need godly laughing and enjoyment of the blessings that God has given to us in our life. Well then, having looked at godly laughter, what is then ungodly laughter? Ungodly laughter, on the other hand, makes fun of God, makes fun of God's people, makes fun of God's blessings, makes fun of God's word. We talked about Sarah rejoicing, laughing at the birth of Isaac out of great joy. But you know, she laughed earlier than that, a couple chapters earlier than that. In Genesis 18, she laughed because the Lord had said that she was going to have a, a child in her old age when she was barren. And she laughed out of unbelief. She laughed out of unbelief. She said, well, the Lord said unto Abram, wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I of a surety bear a child when I am old? That's an ungodly laughter to laugh out of unbelief. In Psalm 22, verse 7, through eight, we read, and though this may have some reference to what David was going through, it ultimately points to Jesus Christ and was fulfilled as he was hanging upon the cross. In Psalm 22, verses seven through eight, says, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And again, this is an ungodly type of laughing, a laughing of mockery against the Son of God, against that which is holy, against that which is righteous, the one who is righteous. Secondly, ungodly laughter is used in laughter that is excessive or that is inappropriate at particular times. You see, there are times when we ought to be mourning and being more serious. According to James 4, 8 through 9, and when a person is at such a time not serious, 
but is laughing, then that's inappropriate. That's wrong. That's not godly laughter. James says in James 4, 8 through 9, draw, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. You see, there's a time to laugh, but there's also a time to mourn and to sorrow and to be serious because of the things that are being said to you for the things that you are, are going through. Dear ones, if we laugh at sin, if we laugh at sin, whether in the form of dirty jokes, filthy language, or sinful behavior, we are engaged likewise in ungodly laughter. That's ungodly laughter as well, thirdly. How much of the humor of the world by way of jokes or comedy either has the audience laughing with mockery at that which is good and righteous or laughing with approval at that which is shameful and wicked. Laughter indeed is a gift from God, but it must never be used to imply our approval of that which is immoral and wrong and contrary to God's will. Dear ones, we must not be entertained by that which is morally repugnant to God by way of profane or blasphemous speech which drags that which is holy through the gutter and through the mud by way of dirty jokes or lewd behavior. That's not godly laughter. That's ungodly laughter. And then finally, with regard to what ungodly laughter is or example of ungodly laughter, ungodly laughter is also laughing with disrespect. When we are rightfully corrected by parents, by those who have lawful authority over us, and we treat the correction, <laughs> and that's our response, that's the way we act. That is ungodly laughter. Or, Likewise, in a home, in a family, when a, a spouse laughs at his or her spouse to, in order to humiliate him or her in a heated argument, or when the laughter is around embarrassing somebody else, or the laughter is around teasing someone else, and they're not laughing. Or when one is cutting another person down and then adds to the, what was said by way of cutting that person down, adds, oh, I wasn't serious. Again, that's not godly laughter. That's the misuse of laughter. That's an ungodly use of laughter. Because laughter ought to, again, as we said earlier, build up, not tear down, not humiliate, not embarrass one another. The intention should be to build up. When we think that we can fill up, dear ones, the emptiness in our lives by merely introducing laughter or entertainment into our lives, we have deceived ourselves. 
And we have fallen into the same sin as did Solomon. We're walking in that same path that Solomon walked in. If we make laughter or pleasure and end in itself, then we'll find that it's a dead end. When laughter and pleasure, dear ones, lead our hearts away from God, away from his commandments, away from our joy in Christ and in his blessings that he has given unto us, we have fallen into a sinful use of laughter and pleasure for which we need to repent. And I pray that the Lord searches all of our hearts and how we have used laughter in our lives. Maybe we haven't thought much about it. We haven't given it much consideration, but the Lord is calling us today to take up this matter and to consider how we use laughter. It says so much about who we are, what we laugh at, what we don't laugh at. And after having repented to seek his mercy and his forgiveness, well, we might have a couple objections that come with regard to what I've said thus far and what we've gleaned from the Word of God. First objection might be, well, doesn't the Lord himself laugh at the wicked? Yes, he does. In Psalm 2, 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision, God's Word says. But he does not laugh in approval of their sin, but rather laughs with complete disapproval at their vain attempts to try to unseat the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he has seated at his right hand, their vain attempts to do so. And certainly I would say in the same sense, we may laugh at the vain attempts of the wicked, Christ's enemies, who seek to overthrow the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to unseat him when he's the one who says in Psalm 33, verses 10 through 11, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught, to nothing. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. He sits. His counsel reigns supreme. His thoughts, his plans. And so all the vain attempts of man to unseat the Lord Jesus Christ in governments, in backroom closets, Satan himself and all of his attempts, we can justly laugh and say, how foolish to think that you could unseat the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. One other objection is, what about Solomon's words later on in Ecclesiastes 7.3? Where Solomon says, sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Well, first let me say that godly laughter is not opposed to godly sorrow. Both of them are taught in God's word. There's a time for both. According to Ecclesiastes 3.4, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. In fact, I would go as far as to say that we cannot truly have godly laughter and joy over the blessings that God has given to us in Christ if there isn't 
First, an understanding of godly sorrow over our own sins. That's why, again, Jesus says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. They'll be comforted with joy. They'll be comforted with forgiveness. They'll be uh, comforted with blessings from the Lord as we mourn over our own sin. That's not an end in itself, our mourning. Our mourning is to yield to rejoicing, dancing, laughing at God's mercy, God's goodness unto us. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his, that is God's anger, as our father, he has a fatherly anger. Not an anger out of control, but a fatherly anger, for his anger endureth, endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. I'd also say, concerning the words of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 7.3, I would also say that the contrast in, between mourning and laughing in Ecclesiastes 7.3, or sorrow and laughing, is not between a godly sorrow and a godly laughing. That's not the contrast. The contrast is rather between a godly sorrow and an ungodly laughing, as we see in the rest of Ecclesiastes 7, verses 4 through 6, where Solomon says, The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And again, ungodly, ungodly mirth, ungodly laughing. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Ungodly laughter, ungodly mirth. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, ungodly laughing. This also is vanity. So the contrast is not between godly sorrow and godly laughing, but between godly sorrow and ungodly laughing. Dear ones, biblical Christianity is not a religion of gloom and doom. It's a religion to be taken seriously. Because life and death, heaven and hell, will stand or fall upon one's faith, or belief or unbelief in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. But let us not forget that Jesus came to make our joy full. He came to make our joy full, complete. Not to rob us of our joy. Not to take away our laughing. He came to make our joy full, John 15, 11. He came that we might enjoy all his blessings in a way that an unbeliever is unable to do. Again in 1 Timothy 6.17, who hath given us all things richly to enjoy. God, dear ones, is not a killjoy. Satan is in fact the ultimate killjoy who brings only momentary, momentary laughter so that people laugh themselves all the way to hell and do not take God seriously at all. Jesus Christ, however, is the joy of man's desiring. To enjoy Jesus Christ is the only way to find true joy and true laughter now and for all eternity. And very briefly, very quickly, Solomon's conclusion concerning laughter, the second main point, verses 1 through 2, he says at the end of verse 1, And behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what doeth it? So Solomon's conclusion concerning mirth and laughter 
apart from Jesus Christ, apart from communion with Christ, is the same as every other pursuit Solomon made in order to find true joy and happiness. He says in verse 1, this also is vanity. Laughter. Laughter apart from Christ, apart from, from uh, enjoying the blessings of God, giving him glory for what he has blessed us with. It's all vanity. Why? Because it's going to perish. It's not going to last. It's momentary. It's temporary. If the joy of the Lord, dear ones, is not our strength, we will not enjoy a godly laughter in anything that we do here upon the earth. We will find what Solomon found. All such laughter is vanity. It's empty. It's a mere vapor. It's so short-lived, it's here, and then it's gone. It passes away so quickly. And what is still left after that momentary laughter is that same huge hole, that same vacancy, that same emptiness that we had before, that outburst of momentary laughter. Solomon goes even further in stating the conclusion to his pursuit of true joy in laughing and in pleasure in verse 2. First, he says to pursue laughter in order to find true joy, he says, is madness. It's madness. It's, it's foolishness to try to pursue Happiness and joy through laughter, mere laughter. He says, it is mad. How is it mad? Well, it would be like, we might use some other analogies. It would be like one starving oneself in order to satisfy one's hunger. That's mad. That's crazy. Or it'd be like jumping into an icy river in order to get warm. That's madness. That's foolishness. And so likewise, to pursue laughter in order to find true joy only reveals that a man has not found true joy because he keeps searching, he keeps looking for true happiness and lasting joy and happiness through laughter, but he ends up coming up empty and empty and empty every time. It's madness. Ungodly laughing, dear ones, is in effect laughing at the very chains that shackle the sinner and enslave him to an eternity of hopelessness and helplessness and everlasting torment. That's what he's actually laughing at. The, the, so often is at the immorality, the impurity, the things of this world that, that have been perverted and corrupted. They're laughing at that which is going to shackle them for all eternity in hell. But they won't be laughing then. One who can laugh at that which is immoral, that which is profane and sinful, Solomon says, in effect, is mad and insane, for he is laughing at that for which men will be tormented forever in hell. And second conclusion, or second in verse 2, actually the third conclusion he draws, but the second one in verse 2 is to pursue laughter in order to find true joy leads Nowhere, he says. That's the point of Solomon's rhetorical question when he says, and of mirth, what doeth it? What does mirth or laughter, what does amusement and entertainment apart from the joy of the Lord accomplish in satisfying the soul of man? Nothing. Nothing. And so I conclude, dear ones, today 
with this. Solomon could afford, because he was among the richest at that time, he could afford to hire the best entertainers, the best comedians, the best plays, in order to find true happiness. He tried it. And he found it was vanity. He found that it was hopeless. It was emptiness. So many dear ones seek to bury their sorrow, their discontentment, their emptiness within their souls in this life with entertainment and amusements and laughter. All they are doing, however, is coming to realize more and more and more that a true and lasting happiness and joy is not found in the very things that they are using and seeking to bring them happiness because they're coming up empty every time. They are learning where true joy is not found, not where true joy is found. However, the one who comes to Jesus Christ by faith alone, repenting of his or her sin, looking to the mercy of God that's found in Jesus Christ, receiving his forgiveness, his love, his tenderness, and walking in loving obedience to his commandments, learns that true joy is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Learn that lesson while you're young. Don't wait until you reach a certain age, you say, well, now it's time for me to take this matter seriously. No, learn it now. Why would you waste your life when you can enjoy your whole life? While you are young, find true joy in Jesus Christ and never regret one minute of that, whereas we will have all manner of regret. All of us do. In the way we have, in our past lives, sought to find happiness. And we came up empty, just like Solomon did. Dear ones, thank God the search is over for true joy and happiness. Let us come daily to the Lord Jesus Christ and drink of the wells of salvation, joy, peace, and true laughter and the free blessings that Jesus has given unto us. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Father, praise Thee and thank Thee for Thy Word opening our minds to Thy truth, teaching us once again in Thy Word where true joy and happiness is found, where the merry heart is truly found in seeking and finding Christ and His wisdom, His love, his mercy and forgiveness and the blessings, the many blessings that we have in this life and all heavenly blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that thou would work within the lives of those who are young, Lord, dead. Uh, they would understand. They do not have to repeat the folly of, of us who are older. They do not have to repeat the folly of Solomon, who had so much and yet fell away. That by following, Lord, 
what Solomon has given to us and what he learned and what we who are older can share and what we have learned that those who are young would benefit and would avoid so much pain and heartache and misery in their lives. Our God, we ask that thou would make us ever aware and to cling to uh, the fact that the joy of the Lord is our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.